Years ago, there was a fellow visited just a couple of times. This was probably 40 years ago. And I don't remember the context other than we were, there was a group of us standing. We'd broken up in groups, and we were praying, and something got said that set him off. And he went on a rant about what God was like. And, was, and we were wrong, and I remember him saying, God ain't never killed nobody. God's not in the killing business. The devil kills people. God's never killed anybody. I thought, where did he get that? That's kind of a, sounds like a sweet thought, but his God is not the God of the Bible. You know, there are places in town that can think who Jesus is is just Jesus is just a friendly guy. We just all love everybody. And His job is just to assure everybody that however you choose to live your life, that's just fine. Just live that way without feeling guilty. That's what Jesus came for. Others think, of course, that who Jesus is, is He's just a genie in a bottle. And if you just rub the bottle just right, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to get all the pleasant things that you want. Because that's what Jesus came to do, is to make us happy. There also, and I might have to raise my hand on this one, I had a previous pastor many, many years ago who used to say, David, I think what you want is EWH, eternity without hassles. You just want somebody that will relieve all the hassles you have in life. Well, it's not a bad thing to want, but is that actually who Jesus is? Is that what He came to do? We're going to read a section of Mark today because that's what Mark does in his gospel is he's going to tell us, he's going to show us who Jesus is and what He came to do. Because... Mark, just like all four of the Gospels, the purpose of the Gospels is their Gospel tracks. The writers wrote each of these in order to convince people of who Jesus is and what He came to do so that people will trust in Him for eternal life and be reconciled to God the Father. That's what their purpose is. And the way Mark does that is he writes his book in three main movements. And in the first main section, what he does is he, uh, well, I'll back up, that he writes Mark in the form of a story. He writes it in the form of a story, and what he does is he lets us walk along with the disciples as they spend time with Jesus for three years, and Jesus gradually reveals to them who he actually is and what he came to do. And in the first section, we're going to see three cycles of Jesus teaching and doing miracles and confronting opposition. And all of this time, He's revealing to the disciples who He is. And at the end of each of those three cycles, they end up in a boat. And there's a, the disciples are tested on their faith. And they fail all three times. And the Lord's going to confront them with that, and He's going to talk to them pretty strongly with the third to- at the third time about their spiritual blindness and their spiritual deafness. But one of the things Jesus is doing 
as He's revealing who He is, is He's healing people of physical blindness and physical deafness. And then with the disciples, He's also going to be healing them of their spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness. Then in the second part, once the disciples are able to answer the question, who do you say Jesus is, and they give the correct answer, although they still don't really grasp what that means. He's then going to, Mark tells us that Jesus then begins telling them what he came to do. And again, there's going to be three cycles. This time each cycle starts with Jesus telling the disciples that he's going to be arrested, killed, and on the third day raised. And at first he doesn't tell them why. He just tells them that's going to happen. And what we see through all three cycles is the disciples are really clueless about what Jesus is talking about. What he's telling them doesn't compute. And it's not until the third cycle that he's actually going to tell them why he's going to die. And then once again, at the end of that section, we again see Jesus heal someone of physical blindness as he's helping the disciples with their spiritual blindness. And then the last section, which we won't read, is we see Jesus actually enter Jerusalem and present himself to the nation as their king and begins to exercise his prerogative as their king, but they reject him. And then Jesus does what he came to do. So where we're going to begin reading is in uh, chapter 4, verse 33. And what we're going to do is we're going to pick up at the end of that first cycle. Now, already in this first cycle, Jesus has done a lot to reveal who He is. Now, sometimes when we think about, well, who is Jesus? He's the Messiah. That's only the tip of the iceberg. The question is, who is the Messiah really? What were the people expecting out of the Messiah? And clearly, the Israelites and the disciples were expecting a really special man that God would send to help the nation. But they were still expecting a man. And what Jesus does in terms of his demonstrating his authority to decide which right or wrong, his authority to forgive sins, his power. There were people in the Old Testament that could do miracles. There was Moses and Joshua and Elijah. Jesus is way over the top. You notice how many times that even the people that benefit from his miracles, there are times when they see it, it scares the daylights out of them. We also see that Jesus makes amazing demands on his disciples, his expectations for their behavior, uh, their The fact they're going to have to endure persecution, they're going to have to accept responsibilities, it's going to give them work to do. A lot of that's unexpected. But then one of the main things that's going to come up over and over is Jesus' ability, supernaturally, to provide people with everything that they need to be what He asked them to be. So we'll begin reading in 433, and in that first cycle, Jesus has already demonstrated his authority to to tell people what's right or wrong. He's declared his authority to forgive um, 
sins. Uh, he's demonstrated his um, he's demonstrated his power in doing many miracles. Mark records a bunch of opposition. There's five confrontations with the religious leaders right in a row. Bam, 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 bam. And Jesus confronts them. And where we are ending up in this last, in this first section, is Jesus teaches a series of parables to explain why people are responding to the message the way they are. Some are expecting some or believing and some are not. And he teaches some parables to show, to tell the disciples that the kingdom of God is going to be established and it is going to grow. So we're going to see when we pick up the story here that at this point, Jesus thinks the disciples have had enough that they should be able to grasp at this point who he is and be willing to trust him. So let's pick up in verse 33. It says, With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he didn't speak to them without a parable. But he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Now on that day when evening came, he said to them, Let's go over to the other side. So leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and there were other boats with him. And there rose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Now Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. The wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid. And they said to one another, Who is this guy? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Well, they came to the other side, into the country of the Gerasenes, and when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with chain, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and shouted with a loud voice. He said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, my God, don't torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He was asking him, what's your name? And he said to him, My name's Legion, for we're many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now, there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave him permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Now their herdsmen, they ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they observed the man who had been demon-possessed 
sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion. And they became very frightened. Those who'd seen it described to him how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. But as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might follow him. But Jesus didn't let him. He said to him, You go home to your people and you report to them the great things that the Lord has done for you and how He had mercy on you. And He went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for Him. And everyone was amazed. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around Him. And so He stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come. Lay your hands on her so she'll get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. And a woman who'd had a hemorrhage for 12 years and it endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but it rather grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she was thinking, if I just touch his garments, I'll get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, She came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Well, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official. And they were saying, Your daughter's died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, he said to the synagogue official, Don't be afraid any longer. Just believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And so they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, and people loudly weeping and wailing. And he entered into, entered in, and he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child isn't, hasn't died. It's just asleep. Well, they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took the child's father and mother and his own companions, and he entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. 
Now Jesus went out from there and came to his own hometown, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began teaching in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get this, these things? What is this wisdom that's been given to him? And such miracles performed by his hands. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And the brother James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't, aren't her sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to him, A prophet's not without honor except in his own hometown and among his own relatives in his own household. He could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits, and he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, don't put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that doesn't receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. So they went out, and they preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Now King Herod heard of it, for his name had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work at him, in him. But others were saying, no, he's Elijah. And others were saying, well, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has arisen. For Herod himself had sent, had had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and couldn't do so because Herod was afraid of John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was real perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. Well, a strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask me, I'll give it up to half my kingdom. Well, she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry... Yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guest, he was unwilling to refuse her. So immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. I'm going to make interject just a comment here before we continue reading. As you first read through this, it seems kind of random 
that all of a sudden Mark gives all of this detail about how John the Baptist ended up being beheaded. But Mark puts this in here for a reason. It's going to come up later on, and this is important. But you might just notice all the detail that Mark gives about what Herod and Herodias and the people around there were thinking and why they did what they did to, uh, to John the Baptist, because it's going to be important later. Well, the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Remember, he had sent them out. And he said to him, Well, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. Well, they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. And the people saw him going, and many recognized him, and they ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. So when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. And he felt compassion for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. And it's already quite late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered him, you give them something to eat. <laughs> he said to him, should we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves of bread do you have? Go look. And they said, five, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat in groups of hundreds and fifties, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces, and also of the fish. And there were five thousand men who ate of the loaves. Well, immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. Now, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them, and he said to them, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, but they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. When they crossed over, they came to land at, uh, to land at Gennesaret, and they moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized them, and they ran out, ran about that whole country, and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him 
that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were being cured. Now the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, they don't eat unless they carefully wash their hands and thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they baptize themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the baptizing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Now the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Is this written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, You're experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, that is, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, and thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you've handed down. And you do many things like that. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to him, listen to me, all of you, and understand There's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. It's the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. When he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Don't you understand that whatever goes into the man from outside can't defile him? Because... It doesn't go into his heart, just into his stomach, and it's eliminated. Thus, he was declaring that all foods are clean. And he continues saying, That which proceeds out of man, that's what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. Yet he couldn't escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek of the Syrophoenician race. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon having left. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. 
They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd and by himself and put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with a saliva. And looking up into heaven with a deep sigh, he said to them, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave him orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, He's done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. In those days, when there was again, there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they're going to faint on the way. Some of them have come a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Jesus was asking him, How many loaves of bread do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them. Started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. And they also had a few small fish. And after he blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there. And he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples, came to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking for a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his heart, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And they'd forgotten to take bread, and they didn't have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was given the disciples' order, saying, Now watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you don't have any bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? You have eyes, don't you see? You have ears, don't you hear? And do you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And they said... Twelve. When I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said, seven. And he was saying to them, 
do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. And taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, Well, I see men, for I I see them like trees walking around. And then again he laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, Don't even enter the village. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do you say that I am? I'm sorry. Who do people say that I am? And they told him, Oh, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. But he continued by questioning them. But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to them, You're the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around, seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those standing here who won't taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come with power. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them along with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to answer because he was terrified. And then a cloud, a cloud formed overshadowing them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my son. Listen to him. All at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain... He gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. Now, if you've been dozing off, wake up and fasten your seatbelt for the next few sentences.
Jesus has said not to tell anyone until after the Son of Man rises from the dead. And they seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first and restore all things. And yet, how is it written of the Son of Man that he must suffer and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it is written of him. Wow. If you weren't lost before... You probably are now just as lost as the disciples were. For one thing, why in the world does the mention of the resurrection of the dead make them think about Elijah? Well, there's all kinds of things going on here. They're pretty sure that Elijah has been dead for a long time, several hundred years. But who did they just see on the mountain? They also were pretty sure that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that God was going to send to establish the kingdom. But they still haven't really got a handle on what it means to be the Messiah. Also, they obviously don't understand. Mark doesn't tell us that we know at this point that the disciples understood what Jesus was telling them about who Elijah was. But Matthew tells us that the disciples understood and who Elijah is. Mark doesn't tell us because he wants us to do what Jesus wanted the disciples to do, and that's work it out. But we know he's talking about John the Baptist. But now notice what Jesus does. He asks... Why is it written of the Son of Man that he must be suffer, suffer and be treated with contempt? Is that what it says in the Scripture? If you go back in Daniel 7, the Son of Man that we just read, he's coming in the crowds of, clouds of glory to establish a kingdom that lasts forever. But what Jesus does is he connects what's going to happen to him with what happened to John the Baptist. And the disciples are completely lost. Because in their mind, the Messiah and the Son of Man is going to come. He's going to establish the kingdom. And everything's going to be good. And they have no category for the Lion of Judah, the Son of David, the Son of God, to be arrested and executed as a criminal. That is nowhere on their radar. And they are lost. Not spiritually lost. I mean, they don't know what's going on. When they came back to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And some scribes began arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, What were you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out. And they couldn't do it. And he answered to them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation. 
How long will I be with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around, foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood, it's often thrown him both in the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on this, help us. Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and don't enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. The boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up and he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why couldn't we drive it out? And he said to him, this kind can't come out by anything but prayer. From there they went out and began to go through Galilee. And he didn't want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men. And they'll kill him. And when he's been killed... He'll rise three days later. But they didn't understand this statement. And they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you guys talking about on the way? But they kept silent. Because on the way, they'd been discussing with each other which one of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, Listen, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And taking a child, he set him before them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me doesn't receive me, but him who sent me. And John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he wasn't one of us. But Jesus said, don't hinder him. For there's no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he'll not lose his reward. And whoever causes one of these little ones who believed to, who believe to stumble. It'd be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he'd been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter the life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better to go and enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. If your eyes, if your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm doesn't die and the fire doesn't quench. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good if the salt, but if the salt comes unsalty, what will you do to make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Getting up, he went from there into the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again. 
And according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. And some Pharisees came up to Jesus testing him. And they began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, Well, what did Moses command you? And they said, Well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said, It's because of your hardness of heart he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made him male and female. And it's for this reason that a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Well, in the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces, if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she's committing adultery. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to him, Permit the children to come to me. Don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child is not going to enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them and laying his hands on them. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Well, why do you call me good? There's no one good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, Well, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But at these words, the man was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus looked around to his disciples and said, Oh, how hard it'll be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Well, the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, they were even more astonished. And they said to him, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, With people, it's impossible. But all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he'll receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters, mothers, children, farms, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Well, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were all amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And he again took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to them, saying, Now listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. 
and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they're going to condemn him to death, and they'll hand him over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, they'll spit on him, they'll scourge him, they'll kill him, and three days later he'll rise again. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able... To drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with a baptism with which I'm baptized. And they said, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And you will be baptized with a baptism with which I'll be baptized. But to sit on my right or my left, this isn't mine to give. It's for those for whom it's been prepared. Hearing this, the, ten, the other ten began to feel indignant with James and John, calling to them and calling them to himself. Jesus said to them, "You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it's not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all." For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. We're two-thirds of the way through the book, and this is the first time Mark begins to tell us why is Jesus going to the cross. This interchange with James and John, to me, is one of the most touching things in the Bible. Because this is just like two Christians coming up to Jesus now and saying, Jesus, when you take over the White House and straighten everything out, I want you to make me the Vice President and I want you to make my brother the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Jesus is so gracious because they don't really understand His answer. Because what He's telling them is, no, that's actually not what's going to happen is I'm going to be executed, and so are you. But that's part of the plan, because that's what the Father sent me to do, is to die and give my life a ransom for many. At this point, the disciples are still so blind. They still have no grasp of what's about to happen. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man saying to him, take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. These were the same people they were just telling him to shut up. 
throwing aside his cloak. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. In answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. At this point, Mark shifts to the third part of his book where Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem and begin to, ex- begin to exercise his authority as a king. But what happens is exactly what he said was going to happen and that he's going to be rejected and executed. And it was all part of God's plan. We see in these first two parts of these book, uh, the book that Mark is letting us walk with the disciples and beginning to get an appreciation for who is Jesus really? What does it mean to be the Messiah? And they were completely in the dark. Jesus was proclaiming the coming of the kingdom, calling people to repent and demonstrating His authority. But His authority was far more than what they expected. He wasn't authority like a rabbi that they could argue with and say, well, that's what you think, but I think this. We don't get to debate with Jesus what's right or wrong. He gets to determine that. Jesus demonstrated His power to overcome any kind of obstacle. But as you read what Jesus is like, Jesus is not a genie that just on demand you can rub the bottle and He'll just give you whatever whim you want. People tried that. At the same time, Jesus' miracles is not some dog and pony show just for people to be amazed at. If people just wanted to be entertained, He didn't give them that. Jesus exercises His power according to His prerogative to accomplish His purposes. And usually it is in response to people who trust Him to provide for them. Jesus also wasn't what they expected in that His demands of His followers are much higher than what they expected. What He demands of His followers is that they surrender choosing for themselves what's right or wrong. Um, uh, sorry, I derailed a minute. <laughs> to be his followers, uh, what he puts on his followers is that they need to uh, uh, surrender their control of their own lives and submit to his authority. He also tells them that they're going to be his followers. They're not going to be protected from all harm. In fact, they're going to endure uh, persecution. He also tells them that they're going to need to accept responsibilities. If you're going to be my disciples, you're going to have work to do. I'm going to give you jobs to do. But the main thing is, he shows them over and over that what his disciples have to do is depend on him to supernaturally provide them with everything they need 
to be His disciples and do what He asked them to do. And that comes by faith. I think sometimes we can know how well we appreciate what it means to be the Messiah and who Jesus really is when we begin to evaluate what are we asking Jesus to do for us. Are we asking Him to make life easy or are we asking Him to change our hearts to forgive us and transform us to being His disciples who serve Him by His power? Are we willing to do that? That's the challenge that Mark gives to us. And I would encourage you, uh, if there are times when you are wanting to pray to God or you don't even want to bother to pray and ask for Him to help you because you really don't know whether He's able or willing or wants to do that, go back and read Mark and read it over and over and just walk along with the disciples as Jesus shows them who He is and what He's like and what He came to do. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we do thank You. That You are a gracious and righteous God. And Lord, for Your people, You put demands of righteousness on us that's far higher than anything that the Pharisees or Sadducees even dreamed of. And yet... By your power, you forgive and what Jesus has done. You forgive us for all of the things, all our shortcomings, our sin and rebellion against you. And by your supernatural power, you provide us with the ability to be what you ask us to be. And as your disciples, Lord, you give us work to do, but it's your supernatural power that provides us with the ability to do it. Lord, help us be mindful of that. Lord, when we're fearful, when we're in need of help, help us be willing to trust You that You have both the power to help and the wisdom to help in a righteous way, Lord. We pray that You will make this real in our hearts by the power of Your Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.